If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. Over the last 23 years of working with people, helping them transform their health and fitness, I have learned that it is not laziness or lack of motivation that keeps people stuck, struggling with their weight and struggling with their health. Instead, it's the behaviors that we've learned and the programming that we've installed from diet culture that really keeps us where we are. We've classified certain foods as being good and being bad, and of course deemed ourselves as being good or being bad when we have these foods or avoid them. And what that ends up doing is programming a behavior in the mind that relates certain foods that are off limits to a massive reward system. And so if you are struggling with binge eating, out of control eating, stress eating, or emotional eating, and find yourself unable to create the discipline or the habit stacking that will help you implement positive lifestyle changes, then you're going to want to tune into this episode. You are not broken, and there is nothing wrong with you. And most importantly, if you are struggling with out-of-control eating, I want you to know that it is fixable. Please don't feel that you'll always struggle with your weight and health forever. Through the powerful processes that I've created and teach in my signature Make Peace with Food program and my retreat, Transformation in Paradise, which is offered in Costa Rica this November, and the powerful conversations I have with other experts, such as David Zapasodi on this episode, who you'll be meeting in just a moment, you can release the diet mindset and the self-sabotaging patterns in a way that doesn't require more restrictions and forced discipline. Transformation happens from the inside out by rewiring the brain's patterns and harnessing new, enjoyable, and more empowering ones that align with who we are. If you're interested in joining me at Transformation in Paradise, November 25 to December 2nd at the Five Star Eco Resort at the Blue Osa in Costa Rica, please know that there are only 10 spots left. If you'd like to learn more about my Make Peace with Food program, please email me at sherry at sherryshaban.com and we can go over your goals and determine if we are the right fit for each other. And if you'd like to connect with David, you have to keep listening to the end of this episode to grab his contact info. In a world filled with conflicting opinions about diet and exercise, finding what truly works for you can be challenging. So many of us are struggling with cravings, overeating, and exercise and the tools we have, diet and exercise, are not working for us. Have you noticed? The inner conflict in our brain between the healthy and unhealthy, the good and the bad, continues to dampen our outcomes. When the survival-oriented part of our brain is programmed to see food as the solution and our thinking brain recognizes it as a problem, we feel powerless and not in control of our eating habits. But do you know that you can actually break free from food addiction, regain control, and overcome your struggles with food? 
Brain flip is the key to resolving the conflict between your sensory brain's view of food as a problem and your rational brain's understanding. By aligning both hemispheres of the brain, you can eliminate inner conflict and develop a healthier relationship with food. Reprogramming your brain enables you to establish patterns that align with the body and the life you desire and creates a greater sense of empowerment. During this conversation with David Zaposodi, we discuss how to reprogram the brain, interrupt behaviors, and break unwanted patterns to finally get into a place where we are comfortable with our food and our body image. David's unique perspective, combining academic knowledge with a spiritual approach, sets him apart in the realm of wellness. All right, athletes, here is what you're going to walk away with after listening to today's episode. Number one, how to flip your brain, break free from food addictions, lose weight, and keep it off for good. Number two, how to change your relationship with food and build a new one that is in alignment with your body and the life you want to live. Number three, How to interrupt food patterns and behaviors by creating and using a pain tool. And finally, number four, how to improve your awareness and be more intuitive to your body's signals. All right, athletes, now let's get into it. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, Shari. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to get into this conversation. I think this is my favorite topic to speak about, helping people really come to a place where they're making peace with food, making peace with body image, with themselves, and really knowing, more importantly, being empowered that there is hope for them. So before we dive into it, maybe we can just have you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and share a little bit about what you do and how you got to that place. Yeah. So my name is David Zappazzotti. I've been a weight loss expert for food and weight loss for about 27 years now, a little over 27 years. It's hard to imagine that it's been that long, but I'm, and, uh, I feel very fortunate because I'm even more passionate about what I do now than I was in the very beginning. And I was excited in the beginning, but it's a different level now. I work with the most difficult cases in food addiction and weight loss, people that have been struggling for years or decades or their whole life. And I work with the most difficult cases because paradoxically, they're the easiest for me to help. And so I have a very radical system. I have people stop exercising, start eating junk food right in the beginning when they come into my program and we're reprogramming their brain. I'm the founder of Brain Flip Weight Loss and they become free of the food struggles, lose the weight and are able to keep it off for good and live a completely different kind of life. I've uh, been very you know, interested in spirituality and awareness and consciousness and stuff like that throughout my whole life. So that has definitely influenced where I'm at today and what I do with clients. So yeah, I'm an international best-selling author. I've been, you know, working with clients for a long time and just happy to serve. Uh, I love it. And I, I so feel that coming off of you. And, you know, I did have an opportunity to read your book and to to really get into some of the work that you do. And I love the tie-in with spirituality because I really believe that from that place of just consciousness of being in the present moment is where we can start to make the change and really start to understand that we're living in this place where we're completely attached to things that happened in the past, giving them a lot of meaning, really allowing them to define who we are. And oftentimes that's the greatest block. And then I also see, you know, I've had a CrossFit gym for almost 10 years before the pandemic, but I would also see so many people set goals. And then would be unhappy until they arrived at that goal. They're a failure until 
that goal is accomplished and only at that point then they actually feel the success. And so I love that you tie that in. And you had mentioned as you were sharing that when you first started this work, you were excited about it, but now even more so. And so why is that? Well, I had a dip in the middle, though. I, I started out as a personal trainer. I couldn't believe that I was able to work with helping people to like lift weights and get fit and stuff. This is 27 years ago and get paid for it and get paid well for it at that time you know, in college. But over time, what happened with me was what happens with a lot of health professionals. I started to get burned out. The training was amazing at first, but then after years and years and years of doing it and having a relatively low level of success, like the weight loss industry has less than a 3% success rate. I can't really say that in the beginning years of my career, I was any better than the average, you know, and, and that was definitely challenging for me. And I spent a lot of years trying to really like dive in, figure out like I, at first I was, you know, doing the calorie counting and the portion control like everyone else does. And I was trying out like Atkins diet. Paleo wasn't around yet when I first started. So there are certain things. Keto was like starting to come around, but it wasn't quite there yet. But I tried like the zone diet, Atkins diet, Pritikin diet, like all these different kinds of diets. And different people would have success with different ones of them. And there was no one thing that worked well for everyone. Then I got into like individualization. And I was like, like putting people up against a grid board and a plumb line and checking their posture and dynamic movement pattern assessments. And, and I would do like metabolic nutrition testing, which was testing people's metabolism to find out what they should be eating based on their biochemistry. There was a little bit better success with that, but it wasn't that much better. Like even with getting more individualized, it still wasn't that much. And then with mindset was the next thing I got into mindset and like looking at getting people into a positive frame of mind and stuff. And same thing, like I'd have a little bit better results, but it, it really was like an uphill battle to get people to be in this positive place when they're coming to me and they're in pain and they're suffering and they're like immersed in these food addictions that are completely controlling their life. And I'm trying to get them in a positive mindset. So it wasn't just that either. It wasn't until I realized the things I'm doing now with reprogramming the brain and like having people eat the food in a, day in a way that disrupts their normal pattern and changes the association. And same thing with weight loss. That was where my results really started to skyrocket. And then and when I had that discovery, that was when that passion came back. And I'm way more passionate now than I was when I first started 27 years ago because of that. I went through a depression of like 10 years in the middle somewhere. Like it was a pretty tough time, you know, like I've always been driven to want to know the truth. And that has caused my journey to be very difficult at certain points, but also very rewarding now because of it. No, you're good. And, and I actually want to come back to that 10 year gap, but it's super interesting. There's a lot of parallels in my own story and in, in what you're sharing. And, you know, I've also been in the health and fitness space for 23 years, maybe going on to 24 years now. And in the beginning, when I would see clients, come on, it's mathematical. What do you mean? Like, you know, the app says this or my calculation said that. And I would give people what I thought was the most wicked meal plans, the most wicked training programs. And they would have success for a short period of time, but then something would happen and they would be completely derailed. And so I just, I didn't get it. And I think that's when I realized I have to transition 
from being a trainer to a coach. And I think there's a very big difference, right? I think in my opinion, training is is more structured and you're you're giving somebody a sequence of things to follow and maybe you're correcting their form and giving them feedback. But the coaching aspect, I believe, is really the whole person. It's everything about them. It's, it's the mind, it's the body, it's the spirit. And so that really was where all the work came. And it wasn't until I really started also working on mindset and really working on like what's going on in your life? Like what's really going on with you? Like what's happening in your world versus how much are you eating and how much are you moving? that really the breakthroughs started to happen. So coming back to that spot where you were saying that you did have that 10-year gap, was that due to your burnout or was there a reason that brought on that state? Yeah, so I was running a private uh, metabolic nutrition and personal training place. And it's interesting you're talking about the difference between training and coaching because when you and I first started in the industry, coaching wasn't a thing yet. Like that, there were coaches on sports teams, but there wasn't like an actual designated health coach that didn't come until much later. It wasn't even in people's awareness at that time yet. Now I was running a private, it was a brick and mortar. It was a, a private personal training and metabolic nutrition center. And I had this like really big dream of like wanting to change, like make a big impact on the country on the world, whatever. And I was so frustrated and stuck because I just couldn't figure out how to do it. I was trying like, this was during the individualization days and like getting into mindset. So I was like, really into those things. And I'm like reading books all the time and always like studying and, and researching. And I just couldn't figure it out. And the business was struggling. Like every month, it was a month to month, we had it for nine years, I had it with a business partner. And my business partner and the trainers that worked for us, they used to call me Napazodi. My last name is Zapazodi. They'd call me Napazodi because I would sleep eight hours at night and then I would take like two, two hour naps during the day. I was sleeping like 12 hours a day and I was basically just hiding. I was like escaping from my pain. I wasn't thinking of it that way, but that's looking back, that's what I was doing. And I felt really bad about myself. I felt like a failure and like, why is this such a hard thing for me? Like, I'm an intelligent person. Why am I having such a hard time with this? Now, when I look back, I'm very proud that it impacted me that much. It showed how deeply it really means to me that I would get depressed about it. But at the time, I felt really bad about it. And yeah, I was depressed for a good eight years uh, or 10 years. I Part of that time was during the business. And then when it was failing, had my car repossessed, had to file bankruptcy, like all different kinds of stuff like that I went through. It was a really difficult time. I'm sorry to hear that. It's a, it's a blessing. I'm so thankful that it happened now. Yeah, because I couldn't imagine like, it almost like kind of scares me to think if it, if that business was successful, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, you know? Yeah. And, and just from your story, the part that I completely sympathize with is just the consequence that it had on, on you physically, emotionally, mentally, right? And I think it's part of even just being the, the entrepreneur. I've also had many things that were super successful and many things that completely crashed and failed and burned. And I think that's just part of the journey. But what brought you into that space anyway, in the first place to want to help people? Like what excites you about wanting to really make an impact in somebody's life? So when I first joined the industry, I was an athlete and I was a good athlete. And uh, I wanted to work with athletes as a personal trainer. That was my first job. And so I was expecting to go in and be working with all these athletes. But then I found out soon into starting that like, I don't know, like 97, 98 out of 100 
people that go to a, a personal trainer are not looking for sports performance. They're going for weight loss. So I got used to, that was just what I became accustomed to. And I eventually ended up wanting to do it way more than working with athletes. I saw the suffering that people were going through and it felt so much more fulfilling for me to be able to help someone to be moved out of their suffering or to transform through their suffering than to get to a higher level in athletics. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's a great, a very noble profession. It's just not what I was drawn to. And I remember it was kind of interesting. At a certain point, I was like just about to start my own business with that business partner. And we had these dreams and it was geared toward weight loss and stuff. And I had my test. I had a, a test of this where I was working at a really, really, really big gym. It's one that everyone knows. And they've got like gyms all throughout the world, right? And I was working at this gym and then the head of the gym that we were in, who was like the general manager, came up to me. I was on the floor one day in the gym floor just talking with people. And he's like, hey, I got to talk with you for a second. And he was actually a friend of mine. We were good friends. He's like, dude, did you do something wrong? I was like, no, what are you talking about? He's like, well, the president of fitness for this entire company just called you. And he was like, he needs to talk to you right away. And he's like, what did you do? I was like, I have no idea. I don't know what it is. So I call him back. I'm thinking I'm in trouble. And he tells me that Shaquille O'Neal's agent had contacted them. And they were looking for a trainer for him for a certain period of time. And I was one of five trainers globally in the whole entire company that they were looking at. And that I was a strong favorite. That's what he told me. And I'm like months away from starting this business with my business partner, right? So I could have easily like gone in the other direction and been possibly been Shaquille O'Neal's agent or a trainer. But I told him, I said, thank you, but I'm not interested. And he's like, really? He's like, why is that? And I was like, well, I really get my fulfillment from helping people that are suffering and that are losing, trying to lose weight. And that's, I know that that's my path. That's the one that I want to be on. And he was actually really cool. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to talk with you. Like it's a breath of fresh air because everyone I'm talking to is like, telling me what they think I want to hear and all, but it's good to talk to a straight shooter who's telling me the way it is. I'm like, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So I was flattered, but I had no temptation to do that. I didn't have an interest in going down that road. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And it and just shows really purpose and passion and, and how strong those forces become once we're really tuned into what they are. Right. So let's come back and, and talk a little bit about your process. So Super interesting because it sounds like the first thing that you do when you are starting to work with somebody who's been struggling so deeply for so long is that you get them to stop restricting, right? And just start to release the avoidance of particular temptations or even the quantities. And then what do you do? What is what is that process that you would take somebody through? Yeah. So when they first come to me, I typically want them to stop exercising because it's important that they're sedentary for most people. And I want them to go and get all the junk foods that they have the strongest cravings for. And I want them to bring those foods in the house, right? And so I take people through three brain flips. I call them brain flips. And basically what that means is it's reprogramming the brain very simply to be in alignment with the direction that we want to go in. So like if we know that we want to be a clean eater, but we have cravings for sugar, there's an inner conflict there, right? Like the sensory aspect of the brain is saying the craving, the sugar is good. 
And the thinking part of the brain knows that it's bad. That's what the inner conflict is. It's when the sensory survival reptilian part of the brain knows or feels that is programmed that it's the solution. The thinking brain knows that it's the problem. And so a brain flip is flipping in that specific instance, the foods to be a problem in the sensory brain so that both hemispheres of the brain can be aligned and that there's no more inner conflict. And so I take people through three brain flips. The first brain flip is with junk food cravings. So it's all cravings for any kinds of unhealthy foods, sugars, sweets, salty chips, Doritos, fast food, alcohol, cigarettes, like anything that they're doing that's not healthy. We flip all that stuff in the first brain flip. And what happens is that I have them reprogram the brain and they become free of the addiction to the food while they are in the act of eating the food. And that flip on average takes roughly about two to three weeks for most people. We then take a couple of weeks to prep for the second brain flip, which is overeating. So if there's any type of compulsiveness with overeating or if they're snacking in between meals, we flip all of that in the second brain flip. And that one, once we started, is usually a little bit shorter than the first one. So whereas the first one's two to three weeks on average, the second one is usually about one and a half to two weeks if they've done the first one first. Some people come to me and they don't have any junk food cravings. If that's the case and we're starting on the overeating flip, it could be two to three weeks there. But if they've gone through the first one, the second one's usually a little bit shorter. And so after they've gone through those first two brain flips, there's no more food struggles anymore. There's no cravings to cave into. And there's no issues with eating any more than what they want to be eating. And they're in a nice rhythmic eating pattern that's aligned with the body that they want to have and the life that they want to live. And so when they're in this place and there's no more managing food or inner conflict around food or trying to figure things out, they feel more empowered. They feel more inspired within themselves because many of these people have had addictions for decades and now they're free of them in a matter of weeks and they know that they're free. They know inside and out. Most people think that like the most exciting thing is like not having the cravings anymore, not having the compulsions. But actually what I find to be the most fulfilling for most people when they go through those flips is that there is no more fear around food. They have absolutely no concerns or fears around food anymore for the rest of their life because now they really understand how it works and they know that they can make and break addictions as they see fit. And I do have people create addictions on purpose to replace other ones and then other ones replace those ones and keep moving. And I I don't see addiction as a bad thing. I see it as a non-conscious pattern of one-sidedness. But anyway, we can get into that a little bit later. So they go through these first two brain flips. No more food struggles. They're more excited. I then reintroduce exercise back into their life. The reason I have them stop it in the beginning is because for most people that I work with, they hate exercise. Exercise is done more as uh, out of a sense of obligation than from a sense of inspiration which means that it is energetically heavy. And what I have found from years and years of doing this is that if exercise feels heavy to a person, it leads to heaviness. I don't care how many calories they burn in the short term. If they're doing the exercise in a way that they hate it, they're gaining weight in the long term. And so I want them to stop and reset that relationship so that when they're more excited from being free of the food struggles, we can link that excitement to the exercise So it teaches the brain that being light is safer than being heavy. A lot of people don't realize this, but when they struggle to lose weight, 
It's because the brain is programmed that being heavy is safe. That extra weight is serving a purpose. They're not conscious of it. It's a subconscious thing. It might be to prevent unwanted sexual attention. It might be to allow them to escape from having to live up to their full potential or take responsibility for their life. Or maybe there's a fear that if they lose the weight, they could grow apart from somebody. There's all kinds. Some people, they gain weight because they want their husband to prove that they love them unconditionally. And so they gain weight as a way to do that. They're not consciously. There's all different ways that the extra weight can serve a purpose on a subconscious level. Ultimately, it needs to be reprogrammed. So that's what we're doing in the, the journey that they're going through. That's the general journey. We can dive into any of it that you want to in more detail or whatever. I love that. So subconsciously, the body is in survival mode. And when we are using exercise or nutrition or our choices around nutrition as almost a currency for our value or for releasing weight, then that's where we have that disordered relationship. And so just rewinding back to the beginning when you are starting off with a client and telling them, stop exercising, eat all the junk food that you want, especially after years of struggling and years of lack of trust towards themselves, what is generally the feedback that you get the moment you tell someone, do all these things, stop exercising and start eating junk food? Well, this might be surprising, but people are usually pretty receptive to it. Like, most people have seen some kind of an interview or they've seen a free training where I talk about the brain flips and what we're doing, like how we're actually reprogramming. So they understand to some level once they've actually gotten to the point of talking with me that we need to have them eat the food in order to become free of it. To keep the food out of the house is to ensure that the addiction to it will stay alive because basically... You're just escaping from like a craving, but that doesn't make the cravings go away. So I need to like reprogram the craving itself. And so, yeah, a lot of people, they come in, they are scared. Like the thing that they're most scared of is that it won't work for them. That's the biggest thing. In fact, everyone that I work with is afraid when they first come in that it's not going to work for them. And every single one of them is wrong. That's the good thing about it is that it doesn't matter whether they doubt it or not. It's going to work for them whether they believe it will or not, because the part of the brain that we're reprogramming for like specifically for the cravings aspect doesn't have to do with thinking. It's not the thinking aspect of the brain. It's the sensational sensory aspect of the brain. And that part doesn't matter what you think. That doesn't touch that part. So that would I'd say that's the biggest challenge is that they have doubts. But ultimately, for me, it's not a challenge whatsoever. Right, right. Okay, so let's unpack phase one. You're inviting them to have those foods that have been their vice for so many years. And then through that process, while they're eating it, that's where you start to interrupt the pattern. So what does that look like? So what I do is I have them create what I call a pain tool. And a pain tool is exactly what it sounds like. It is a tool that is painful, emotionally painful, not physically painful. And so what happens is that they'll create, I have a formula for how people script it out, but it's basically a series of stories of how horrible life could become if they were to never solve this issue. So I had people coming into my program and they're creating imagined scenarios where they're getting diabetes or they're getting a foot amputated from diabetes, or they're ending up in a wheelchair because their arthritis gets so bad that they can't move anymore. 
and they have to give their pet away because they can't take care of them, or they're in a nursing home with a nurse wiping their ass because they can't do it themselves. Whatever they're most afraid of, that's what goes into that pain tool. So they script it out following my formula, and then I revise it with them back and forth until I know it's good. And then after I know it's good, I teach them how to record it as an audio recording on their smartphone. And then what happens is that when they're going to eat the junk food, they put the headphones in and they close their eyes. They're eating it with their eyes closed. And they're imagining it's an embodied visualization where they're feeling their body getting heavier. They're feeling themselves fall at the wedding and being embarrassed in front of everybody. Like, or at the doctor, the doctor's like, you have diabetes now. I have to teach you how to give yourself insulin shots. Like they're imagining these things while they're doing the behavior. They're eating the food while they're imagining it. So basically what I'm having them do is I'm having them face the reality of where they could end up while they're doing the behavior that could lead them to that reality. And so what that's doing is it's given the brain a future consequence during the present action. It's connecting them together. We all know like how if a dog were to go to the bathroom on the rug and we punish it 10 minutes later, we all know how like the dog will have no idea why it's punishing, being punished, right? It doesn't make that connection because it's separated in time. The sensory aspect of the brain is the same exact way. I need the people to eat the food because we got to catch it in the act to reprogram it. Avoiding it doesn't do that. So that's what we do in the first brain flow. Okay. And so you mentioned earlier that you work with the most challenging cases and you kind of evaluate people whether or not this process would work for them. So who would this not work for? Someone who is not really in touch with the pain of the consequences of what could happen in their life if they don't make a change. So like some people, they want to, like, I don't get people scheduling sessions with me to find out more about it who are like trying to lose 10 pounds for the beach for the summer and they're okay with it being like a, temporary thing. The people that come to me are the people that can't not change. Like they have to change. They are in so much pain. Like they need not, and I'm not talking just physical pain, although it can be that too, but more like emotional pain. Like they feel out of control. Not everyone that I work with has a lot of weight to lose. Like some people come to me, they don't have any weight to lose, but they've got bulimia and it's ruining their life. And it's like, they can't do anything about it. Right. So some people don't have a lot of weight to lose, but they all have a lot of pain around the food struggles or the weight that they do want to lose. So that's the thing. And they have to be really clear on like, this is going to have major impacts on me. If I keep going in the direction I'm going, I'm going to get diabetic. I'm going to have a stroke. Like I'm going to have something happen that I really don't want to have happen. That's the kind of person that's right for me. So rock bottom and also super aware that I must now make a change. Yeah. And the more pain they have, the easier it is for me to help them. That's why I work with the most difficult cases because they're the ones that have the most pain. So, you know, someone that doesn't have a lot of pain, I can't help them with it. They they have to have been struggling with this long enough to be really honest with themselves about, about what the consequences could really be. So, David, tell me about now the second part where you're helping people overcome that overeating behavior that they have. Right. Okay. So that one is a little bit different from the first brain flip because the first brain flip with cravings, it's a one part brain flip. They're just eating the junk food, listening to the pain tool. With the second part, it's not about junk food anymore. All the cravings for junk food are gone. So now we're dealing with overeating of healthy food. And some people are eating more of healthy food than they need, even though they don't think that they are. 
And so what happens in this flip is that I have them create another type of audio recording that I call a centering tool. And the centering tool is an audio recording that they use. It's a loop recording that asks a series of questions and gets them hyper-focused on the principles of satisfaction in eating the way that I determine them. And that's enjoyment of taste, that the body feels good, and it's a sustainable way of living. Those are the three main principles. So they create this centering tool. And what happens in the second one is that they're preparing the same amount of food for each meal that they would normally have at that meal. So what happens is that like, we'll just take one of them, let's say dinner, because a lot of people I work with, dinner is their biggest meal. So they're going to prepare the same overeating amount of dinner that they normally have, and they're going to split it into two portions. And with the first portion, they're going to use the centering tool, listening to the questions and answering them in their mind as they're eating. And what happens is that they become more sensitive to their body the more they do that, and they're more clear on when they've hit that point of satisfaction where they haven't gone too far into the point of overfulness. And as they keep doing the practice over and over, they get better and better at doing it. All right. And then so once they've answered yes, if there's any food left, they will transfer it to the second portion. And with the rest of it on the second portion, they'll do the pain tool with it. So it's the same foods on both plates, but they're having very different experience with both of those portions. So what's happening is that with the centering tool, they're having a more enjoyable experience up to the point of satisfaction. And then after the point of satisfaction, it's an absolute living hell with the rest of the food, even though it's the same kind of food. So that it teaches the brain in real time, eating this amount of food is good. Going past that is painful. The biggest challenge of the overeating flip is not helping people to have a desire to eat less food. That's the easy part. The most difficult part of the overeating flip is that I need them to still keep preparing the same amount of food that they would normally have, even though as they move further into the flip, they want less and less food. So they're going to want to decrease the amount, but they can't do it. I need them to feel really miserable. The most difficult part of the overeating flip is not helping people to want less food. That's a fairly simple thing to do. The most challenging part for people on the second flip of the overeating flip is that they've got to keep preparing the same amount of food at each of those given meals that they would normally have at those meals. And so, because as they go further into the flip, they want less and less food, but I need them to keep eating that same overeating amount until it gets so difficult for them to do it. Like eventually they're like looking at it, they're like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to finish it. Like, I have no idea how I was able to eat this much food. It was just a week, a week and a half ago that they were doing it. When I can tell that they've gotten to the point where it's a strong programming, I let them drop the second portion. And then you know what happens then? They're excited out of their freaking mind. And it's important that they experience that because it's not only freeing them of the overeating propensity, it's also reprogramming all the unhealthy patterns that they learned in previous weight loss efforts. Because in most weight loss programs, the first thing they're having people do is caloric restriction, portion control, like they have to eat less or something like that than what they were doing before. And it makes them feel miserable. With me, they're going to feel miserable until I let them restrict that extra amount out. They need to reprogram what eating less food means in their brain because doing that over and over again has just automatically meant 
oh, eating less food equals misery. So I need to reprogram like, no, eating more food equals misery. That means eating less food is excitement. Right, right. So you you had mentioned that that first brain flip was more reprogramming of, of the sensory nervous system. And so now the second part is that also, I guess perhaps that pain point is that programming of the sensory nervous system. But what is what is that first process then of just having exactly the right quantity and being more intuitive with when they're full or when that body gives them signals? Yeah, so basically, I mean, this is a, a big thing because a lot of people believe that well, I'm overweight and I can't be sensitive to my body because I have so much extra weight. It's not true. It's a myth. I find that people are able to be very sensitive to their body. What determines their ability to be sensitive is not the size of their body. It's the size of their focus. If they are eating their meals and they're watching TV or they're checking their phone or they're on their email or they're talking to somebody like, yeah, of course, their mind's going to be divided. And they're going to have less attention to it. Whereas if a person's really focused on like these questions come up every, there's like a question and then a five second space question, five second space, five seconds, like there's only a little bit of time to mentally answer the question before the next one's coming. So they don't have the ability to go really far off on a tangent during that time before the next question's coming. So it's keeping their focus directed. If they direct their focus toward being aware of what they're eating, they're going to be more aware of it. Like they're going to improve that awareness. So that's all. The centering tool is just helping them to improve awareness by putting their awareness actually on it. That's it. Love this. Oh, love it. Okay. So now the final part, reprogramming the relationship with exercise. What does that look like? Yeah. So first off, like I mentioned earlier, most people are doing it from a place of obligation. So I want them to stop that and reset that relationship. And then when they're doing the exercise, so in the beginning, I have them create a pain tool, right? That's really horrible. And it's like, they're using it with junk food. So I basically, what I do, the whole journey of my program is I have them pay, use pain with what's coming into their body, emotional pain with what's coming into their body. So I can have them use emotional excitement with what's going out of their body. So when they get to that more excited place, we are then linking it to exercise and they're going to exercise. Same thing with their eyes closed, listening to an audio recording, this one's called a vision tool. And the vision tool is as exciting as the pain tool is painful. I even tell people in the beginning, you want to make your painful tool as painful as it can possibly be. Because if you hesitate or try to shy away from it, all you're doing is shying away from your excitement at the end. The more you dive into your pain in the beginning, the more you can dive into your excitement at the end and, and transform your life. So we create the vision tool. And I have them literally do it while shaking, like they're literally vibrating their body. And they're doing it for literally like seven to nine minutes at a time. And then they start losing weight in a way that they can keep it off. Most people hear that and they're like, well, how does that work? Like, I was working out for hours at a time and I hit a plateau and I can't get beyond it. And now I'm coming into this thing and I'm doing exercise for seven to nine minutes and I'm losing weight. Like, how is that even possible? Well, it's because the exercise is light. And it's exciting. And here's the thing, right? The most metabolically active cells in the body are the neurons, the cells of the nervous system. And when the nervous system gets charged up by being excited, it charges up the metabolism. So it's not just about doing exercise. It's about how we're doing that exercise. When I see a person in a gym and they're sitting there, they're watching the TV 
which is to me, it's hilarious that there's TVs and gyms. We have the symbol of a sedentary life in the facility that's meant for non-sedentary living. Right. And also bring your focus away from what you're doing now. Like don't be inside your body, be outside your body while you're doing this thing, right? Obligation instead of inspiration. That's all it is. It's like you have to do it because they haven't figured it out. Gyms that have have TVs in it, that's a sure sign that they haven't gotten to the root of the issue because if they did, there would not be TVs in those gyms. Right. Right. Let's distract you through this. Right. So that's the idea that like I'm reprogramming, I'm getting people in touch with their body, getting them in touch with their lighter body, with the lighter body that they want to be in, in these scenarios, these imagined joyful and exciting. Right. High vibration. Absolutely. Right. While they're doing the exercise, and it's literally like they're literally vibrating the weight off is what it is. I love it. I love it. You know, I, I really feel with every single coach who's so impactful, who's so passionate about what they're doing, that always comes from a place of their own self-healing or their own self-discovery or overcoming their own tribulations. And I'm super curious, like, where did this come from for you? Because I know this was given to you, this, this information was given to you and it was given to you designed to help people who are suffering so deeply. But how does that reflect on your own life and your own story? So, all right, so here's the thing. I want to talk about obesity for a moment, all right? Most people, when they think of the word obesity, they think of it as like a physical state or condition of the body. The technical definition of obesity is like a body mass index above 35. Some people think of it as a certain percent body fat or a certain number of pounds overweight or something like that. It's some kind of a physical state or condition. I think of obesity as more of the pattern or process that a person is in that brings that condition about. And the pattern very simply is a pattern of holding on to more than what we need, right? So if a person is holding on to more than what they need physically, then yeah, that leads to physical overweightness where their body's gonna get heavy. And a lot of people that are overweight, they feel like they're limited and restricted, like they can't really be themselves. They can't be who they really wanna be authentically in their body. That's how they feel. But here's the thing. If someone's holding on to more than what they need in another area of life, like let's say they're holding on in relationships, let's say that they're holding on to past baggage or grudges or resentments or things like that. Now they're going to feel limited, restricted, like they can't really be themselves. They can't be who they really want to be. But now it's not with their body. Now it's with a partner. It's the same exact symptoms. It's just showing up in a different aspect of life. So in that sense, we all have obesity issues. We all have areas of life where we're holding on to more than what we need. And so my biggest issues of obesity in my life have been with relationships and with money. Those were like the big ones for me. I do really well financially now. So I've done a lot of those, like a lot of flips financially helped me to get to the place I'm at with helping people with weight loss. Because even though it doesn't look like it's the same thing, it's, it is on a fundamental level. And with relationships as well. I, I have a, a wife and a seven-year-old daughter. My wife, you know, we had a lot of challenges in the beginning of our relationship because I had a lot of bad, she did too. We both had a lot of baggage in previous relationships that that was our obesity that we needed to work through. And sometimes it was really intense and we had really difficult times. And yeah. now we're very grateful for it because it's led to the closeness and the intimacy that we have now. And so I've worked on a lot of my really gross level obesity issues 
I'm always finding more. There's always more to work on. There's always more and more subtle ways that we can discover where we're holding on to more than what we need. And the interesting thing now is that, and people discover this, they find that they're in this place in my program. In the beginning, it's like these challenges are so horrible and they're so painful and they're like, all they want is for them to go away. By the end of my program, they're seeking them out. They want to find more areas of obesity because all that means is another breakthrough that they can have. Wow. Yeah. So powerful. I love this conversation, David. I love you. I love everything that you're doing. And I'm so happy you're doing the work that you're doing and really impacting and changing so many lives. It's so incredible, so important and so needed. So if people wanted to reach out to you, connect with you, where could they go to do that? Yeah. So anyone that's listening to this, that is fitting in with what we were talking about earlier, they're like, got food struggles, weight issues, and it doesn't have to be a lot of weight, but there's got to be a lot of pain around like, what's going on. There has to be a sense that there's going to be major consequences if you don't change this. If that's the case, then I will invite you to schedule a free session with me or someone on my team. And you can do that at brainflipweightloss.com slash talk. You have to put in this slash talk because if you just go to my website, brainflipweightloss.com, you will not see a way to schedule a session with me. You have to have seen this training or this conversation and have an understanding of how it all works before we actually get on a session. And so you can schedule that session at brainflipweightloss.com slash talk. We will spend about 45 minutes to an hour and we'll dive really deep into looking at what's going on with you. And we'll be able to map out exactly how you can use this kind of a process in your own life, custom tailored for you. Like I said, it's free. Many people come onto this session and they want to look at like joining a program or something like that. I do have a program, obviously, and that's not the purpose of the session. The session is to give you value and to really help you to get clarity on what's going on. If you're a good fit and you want to talk about that, then we can discuss it on the session and make sure it's a good fit for both of us. But ultimately, even if it's not something you're looking at, I'm going to give value regardless of whether you join my program or not. So once again, it's brainflipweightloss.com slash talk. And the only thing I ask is that after, when you go to that link, that's going to take you to my calendar page where you can schedule a time that works for you. Like I said, 45 minutes to an hour is about how long it's going to go. And then after you've scheduled that session, all I ask is that you fill out, there's like a video form where I go through a succession of questions. Just fill out that form it only take you about a minute or two to do it, but it'll greatly help us to be prepared for the session prior to being on it. And it's a Zoom session where we'll talk face-to-face. So that's what I have to offer for people. So good. Thank you so much, David. Really appreciate your time today and all of the wisdom that you shared. I loved it so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's been great being here and I feel very honored to be on your show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember... You are an inspiration.